Uh, Let's open up God's word together and begin uh, with a word of prayer. Uh, So let's, let's pray as we prepare to look in God's word. Father, I pray that my words would fall flat and that yours would resound in our ears and in our hearts, in our minds. God, your words are the words of life, the words of truth. And so I pray that uh, you would lift our eyes up to Jesus, uh, that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, that you would do your work of ministry, building up your church, encouraging those whose feet have stumbled, whose hands have faltered this week. Lord, that you would comfort us in our need. And Lord, that you would stir us up in our stagnation, that where we have been uh, just complacent or lazy or just flat out disobedient this week. Lord, that you would invite us once again to receive grace and mercy and to walk and live as dearly loved children of God. So minister to us through your word, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. And so we are going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 this morning. Matthew 28. 16 through 20. And this is usually called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Now, when I was a teenager preparing to go on my very first summer missions trip, uh, my youth pastor, Craig, uh, had our our team together and he read this passage. He, He asked us, does anyone know what the Great Commission is? So you have a group of teenagers sitting around a table. The youth pastor says, what is the Great Commission? And we're all kind of just like, uh, I don't know. Uh, So finally, one kid raised his hand, and he was the pastor's kid. So we all assumed that he would know the answer, right? Uh, Because pastor's kids are amazing. Um, And... And he, he says, uh, I think the Great Commission is what a car salesman makes when they, when they upgrade you to get the sunroof and the, and the slick rims. <laughs> and so we, no, no, that's, that's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is Jesus' final word where he sends out his disciples on a mission, and it's co, because it's together. Right? It's a commission because it's, it's our mission together as the people of God. Right? And, and it's great because it's given by Jesus. So it's the great commission. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about. Not upsales of sunroofs and rims. Uh, but what was Jesus' final commission uh, to his people? And what does that mean for us today? Uh, so hopefully... In uh, the next 30 minutes, you'll be able to give a better explanation about what the Great Commission is uh, than we were able to give as teenagers. Uh, but it, it, it's important because it drives the question, what is the mission of the church? 
right? What, what, what are we here for? What are we supposed to be doing as a church, as a youth ministry, as whatever ministries, uh, but also as individuals who are members of Christ's body? Uh, and, and this is uh, Jesus' final instruction to his disciples. Uh, before I, I read this, this scripture text, I want you to strap on uh, the disciples' sandals for a minute and put yourself in their situations. By this point, they had followed Jesus for three years. They had seen him perform astounding miracles, uh, teach the scriptures uh, in ways and with authority that none of the Pharisees could parallel. Uh, and then when the pressure got too hot, uh, they betrayed Jesus. Right? They watched him die. Well, some of them watched him die. Some of them were, had run so far away they didn't even see it. And yet here they are, gathered with Jesus, who had risen from the grave three days after his burial. And Jesus had taught them for 40 days after being risen from the grave. He had taught them. He had instructed them. He had discipled them even further. And now he had called them together and is sending them out with these final words. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. says, Then the eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, so go, therefore, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the great commandment. Now I want to break it down simply uh, for you, uh, as, as simple as one, two, three. One, two, three. So there's one command, there's two promises, and there's three pathways. And so that's our roadmap for this morning. So first, what is the one command in the great commandment? And when we look at it, it looks like there's four, doesn't it? If you just look at it in, in, in your Bible, it looks like there are four commands that we are supposed to do. And that can be a little bit confusing. Because go, make disciples, baptize, and teach in English... I count four. Um, but the Bible wasn't written in English, and this is why it is helpful uh, to, to study deeper and to have good biblical resources to take advantage of. Uh, and those English teachers and grammar nerds among us, uh, this is your moment, okay? This is your moment. Uh, because there is one imperative verb, which is a fancy word for saying a command, uh, and there are three participles, right, which support the command. Uh, and, and that verb is make disciples. Right, so when, when we look at these four, and the, the preacher says there's one main one and the other support it, I'm not just choosing my favorite. Uh, this is what the biblical text actually says, uh, is that there is one main commandment here, which is make disciples. 
And so what is a disciple? A, a disciple was a student or a learner. Uh, think about a mentor and their apprentice. Right? There's discipleship happening there. Uh, it is uh, more than information transfer. I think in the church, most of us think about discipleship and we think Bible study or theology boot camp or it's taking knowledge from one person's brain and transferring it to someone else's brain. But discipleship is so much more than that. Uh, that discipleship is the process whereby the apprentice is becoming like the master. And so as Christian disciples, uh, it's more than just learn your Bible. It's more than just study this theological information. It's about us becoming like Jesus. That as Christians, we are called to be like Jesus. And to help others become like Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but it, when I think about my calling to help other people become like Jesus, I just think, me? Because I know myself and I know my sin, I know how much I still need grace, do you really think that I'm up for this? Do you really think that you're up for this? I mean, who among us would stand up and say, I volunteer, I can make someone else like Jesus, the Holy Son of God? Right? That we all come on our knees before the cross. We, we all yearn for and depend on God's sovereign grace and goodness and mercy every single day. So when we receive the command and the commission to make disciples, who of us can do that on our own power? Thankfully, there are, there's one command, but there are two promises on either bookend of the Great Commission. First, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Therefore, go make disciples. What a promise. Acts chapter 5, just a, a, a few pages later in your Bibles. Acts chapter 5 tells about the apostles all being arrested for preaching the gospel, and Peter stands before the high priests, and he defends themselves, saying, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And so, why could Peter stand before the authorities when they had been arrested? And he could courageously say, we must obey God rather than men. 
it wasn't because he was so confident in his speaking and persuasive abilities to get themselves out of a sticky situation. It wasn't because he had networked really well to build up enough social capital to work himself out of prison. That Peter and the other apostles, they preached the gospel, and they suffered for the gospel because they believed that Jesus meant it. That Jesus spoke the truth when he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Anyone else who has any measure of authority only has it insofar as I allow them to exert authority. That God is the sovereign one. He is the great king, the holy God, who created and who sustains and who judged, and who saves. And so, where is your confidence in ministry? Where is my confidence in ministry? Is it in the pressure that uh, even now in this kind of awkward moment that you feel to impress people? Or is it my confidence is in the Word of God rather than in my ability? or in my knowledge, or who I am, or whatever. And when you go to work, when you go to school, when you're walking your dog through the neighborhood, and you have that opportunity to engage someone in conversation about the gospel, remember that all authority in heaven and on earth, is Jesus's. It doesn't depend, your evangelism doesn't depend on your perfect ability to answer every question and to explain everything in the best possible way. Second, Jesus' second promise, was he said, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus has all authority, and he is with us. And as, as a church kid, many of us have grown up in church hearing God is with you, God is with you, God is with you, so much that we forget that. But, I mean, really think about, what if God wasn't with you? Think about that. Now go do ministry. Right? Now go suffer. God is not with you. Okay, so God is with you. And that God has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he is sending you out. Why walk on your heels? Right? That as ministers, as Christians, as evangelists, as people who love Jesus, we should lead on our toes with the gospel, not reluctantly, and wondering, oh, well, you know, I know this isn't really very popular nowadays, and so we qualify ourselves to death with excuses. The gospel is good news of great joy for all people. Do we believe that? 
So whatever obstacles you face in your efforts to make disciples, remember these promises of God. Right? When you feel like the only Christian in your school or at work, when your family does things differently than everyone else in your neighborhood or in your extended family, when your parents don't let you do or have certain things that everyone else has, when you reach retirement age and choose to invest it in kingdom work, when you're called a hateful bigot because you believe the Bible. And in these things, we walk in love, we walk in grace, we walk according to the gospel and the, the love that we have received from Christ. Because we know that He has the authority and that He is with us. And so our mission is to be disciples who make disciples. And that's secured by the authority and the presence of Jesus Christ. So now what? How are we supposed to make disciples? Is this just open for every generation of Christians to determine the best way to do ministry because the Bible just makes us free to do whatever we want? Or has, has Scripture, has Jesus himself uh, given us a clear pathway for how to make disciples? Obviously, that's a leading question, and you know where I'm going with that. So how are we supposed to make disciples? He gives us these three pathways. He says, first, go to all peoples. He says, Christians should be goers. Right, that we should be goers. And while this passage is one of the most important passages in Scripture for global missions, this is meant for each and every one of us, whether or not you are called to be a missionary or whether or not you are called to go across the street. That we all receive the Great Commission. So someone needs to go to Africa, to Asia, to South America. Someone needs to go but not everyone needs to go. Otherwise, who will make disciples here? So maybe you're called to go across the street and to in actually introduce yourself to your neighbors. How many neighbors do you know? Right? It's kind of an uncomfortable question, hence the chuckling I hear. Or maybe you're called to cross some other cultural boundary as one who brings good news as an agent of reconciliation and healing. Of the 7.5 billion people alive in our world today, more than 3 billion of them have zero opportunity to hear the name of Jesus. Let me say that again. Of the 7.5 billion people in our world, more than 3 billion of them have no opportunity to hear the gospel. Now, I'm no mathematician, but that's way closer to 50% than I would have guessed if you just asked me before I looked up these statistics. That's 42% of today's global population. So you tell me, 
What do we do with that? Do we believe the Great Commission? Are we willing to go? So some of us should go and have the courage and the faith to go. If faith was easy, we'd all live by it way more often, right? If faith is not easy. But we have confidence in the authority and the presence of Jesus Christ. And so if you are called to go, then go. And if you are called to stay, then go across the street. Go across the hall. Right? Then go to people in your neighborhoods, in your school, in your place of employment, in your family, and make disciples there. Research has also come out over the last few years regarding the religious views of Gen Z, uh, which is the generation between uh, the ages of 9 and 23. So today's teenagers and college students, are, they are not millennials, they are Gen Z. Uh, and out of the 69 million teenagers in the United States, only 4% have a biblical worldview. About one-third of teenagers, again, North America, uh, about one-third of North American teenagers call themselves Christians, but about one-tenth of them um, say that their faith in Jesus is at the center of their lives. So there's a difference, right? We, we see this in our broader culture, not just with teenagers as well, but people who call themselves Christians, but it's kind of just a label, right? You're taking a survey What's your religious views? It's almost like, what's your religious preference? Eh, Christian, sure. Right? That uh, one-tenth of them uh, say that their faith in Jesus is at the center of their lives. Teenagers today are twice as likely to be atheist or agnostic as the older generations above them. And because of their central value of tolerance... They're willing to have conversations about spiritual matters. Right? It's not this off-putting, oh, like, no, who, who cares about that? Instead, it's, okay, sure, you believe that? Cool, talk to me about it. You, know, you do you, I'll do me, that's fine. But, yeah, talk to me about what you believe. Right? There, there is an openness uh, to talking about religious things so long as you have a gracious posture. But if you come across as, hey kids, you whippersnappers, you need to do things like this, you know, I don't know many people, regardless of age, who's going to listen to that. So let's lead with grace. Let's lead with the gospel. And so when we think about uh, this, this first pathway uh, the Field of Dreams might be a really good movie, but if you build it, they will come is a terrible way to lead your church. Right? The, the, the Field of Dreams ministry philosophy has been tried. Let's move on. Right? So it's not about just trying to build something here on Sunday mornings that just makes everyone want to come. And the same way with youth group. It's not just make a youth group the most amazing and attractive thing ever in order to win. No, instead, we disciple and send out. Right? We want to build, a, we want to have a well 
well-ordered worship service. We want to have a well-run, well-ordered youth ministry in order to make disciples and send out. This is just ministry. This is the Great Commission. The second pathway, Jesus says, is to baptize them in the name of the triune God. This is evangelism. Jesus calls for our, points to our calling as evangelists. Though we have now been, we have, we have been made new through our faith in Jesus Christ by confessing our sin, by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, that we have received the Holy Spirit. We have received a new heart. We have received a new mind. We have received a new identity as a child of God. And in doing so, we have received a new calling to invite others to join the family. That we share the good news because there's no better news to share. And if we withhold it, and if we're ashamed of it, then do we believe that it is good news at all? Jesus calls us to make disciples, not converts. Right? So, so we don't just have an altar call and say, okay, great, now go on your way. We're going to publicize how many people became Christians today. No, we want to disciple new converts. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That means they need to understand what it is that they're deciding. They need to understand what it is that they're confessing when they confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And so don't rush too quickly for a decision in evangelism, if the person is unclear of who Jesus is and of who God is and what it means to be a Christian, it's okay if evangelism takes time. Be patient. Right? Be patient. But pursue and be faithful. Third, Right? Jesus says, and teach them to obey. Teach them to observe everything that I've taught you. And so we, we teach in order to help people know what Jesus taught about God, about life, about eternity, about how we live. I believe that theology is important. Right? It sets the foundation for discipleship, but... I know some people who are great theologians who I would not want to have dinner with tonight. You probably do too. Because it's, it's, it's like some people have lots of knowledge up here, but there's a clamp that just keeps the knowledge about God from sinking anywhere else in their body. And so we want to help one another to become like Christ, to grow as disciples, to observe and to obey what the Lord has commanded us because his commandments are good. God cares about your life. He cares about the way you live. He cares about 
how you text with people. He cares about the way that you talk to your kids when they're driving you nuts. He cares about the way you apologize to your kids when you lose your cool. He cares about your integrity and the way you do your job. Even if it's not a, quote, Christian job, do you do your work to bring God glory and to serve others, to do good for them? That is a good and holy vocation. God cares about your life. Follow him. Obey him. Bring him glory wherever he leads you. That's a matter of discipleship. So, this is the Great Commission. Go, make disciples of all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. One command, two promises, three pathways. It's not about car dealers who upsell customers on the sunroof. It's Jesus' commissioning of his disciples and of all the disciples afterwards, including us, so that we would know how we're called to live. This is every Christian's mission, not just mine. Not just the missionaries, yours, ours. It's our commission. The priority that drives the church and that drives the Christian is a disciple-making priority. Making disciples of those who are far and of those who are near. And we want to bring those who are dead in their sin, to find life in Christ so they would know, love, and obey God through a living relationship with Jesus Christ because we say, what is better news than that? What better news do I have to offer anyone than that Jesus Christ died for your sin and he rose from the grave victoriously so that you could have new life in Christ and so that you could live as a dearly loved child of God. That is great news, because it doesn't depend on me and my worthiness. It depends on Christ, on his holiness, his authority, and his presence. Amen? Amen. So as you leave this morning, remember that your ministry to others doesn't depend on you having all the answers on how awesome you are. Your ministry is secured by the authority of God, and you can pursue it confidently because he is with you. So go and proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ and help one another walk in obedience to his word. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, you are so good to us because we know that we don't deserve to be children of God. Lord, the, the good news is that God saves sinners through Jesus. And that's what we were, and you made us your children. You gave us your Holy Spirit. 
And so I pray that you would send us out, Lord, that you would renew us in our passion and in our commitment to make disciples wherever we go. And that if you call us to go, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith to go, whether it's across the street or across the, gro- or across the globe. Father, you are good. You are good. And we trust you. We pray that you continue to make disciples who make disciples here at South Shore Baptist Church. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.